this morning to challenge your heart with the truth of who Jesus is and his heart for people. Because I believe that that's what God has prompted this morning. And so, if you would, I want you to consider this theme with me. Every church that we visit this year, we're sharing this specific missions theme. That you, brother, and you, sister, have been called, just like our family, to get up and move to regions beyond where you currently are to move outside of your comfort zones to a region beyond where you currently are living. The verse that this theme is born out of is found in John chapter 10. And so I'd like you to just read out loud from the screen with me now. Are you ready? Let's read this verse together. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, my upbringing here at Front Range Alliance Church taught me to be wary of any preacher pastor who says, here's the one verse that then creates the theme. I learned early on, and I'm grateful for that teaching, that context is important because you can twist a verse and make it say whatever you want it to say. So, as opposed to just reading off the screen, I want you to open your Bible with me to John chapter 10, because I want to examine where this verse is located. And as you get there, I want you to understand that this story actually begins an entire chapter earlier in John chapter 9. So I told you John 10, but now turn one more page to the left, and let's start in John chapter 9. This is the story, an incredible story, of the healing power of Jesus displayed with a man who was born blind. I won't read this entire chapter to you, but some highlights. As Jesus went along in verse 1, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And you remember the story, Jesus. There's moments that I wish I could see, like what really happened. Spit and mud and mixture and paste and on his eyes, and the man says, I can see. Whoa, 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 whoa. What would that have been like to have been there to see that? This man, born blind, physical eyes that could not work. Jesus, in an instant, displays his phenomenal healing power, puts this paste on his eyes, and the man says, I can see. What a story. What a cause for celebration, right? If you follow then later in this chapter, it reads like a a bad sitcom with back and forth dialogue and intrigue and drama and Who is this man who was healed, and who is this healer? And do you know who was the most upset by this display of power? It was the religious insiders, the religious leaders, who did not like to see that type of power on display. They were angry. They were confused. They started to interrogate and investigate, and the whole chapter is this investigation. And their verdict, the conclusion of the investigation is that this man, in verse 34, 
was told, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they kicked him out. The one who Jesus had healed was kicked out of the community by the religious insiders. And this leads to a phenomenal little tidbit at the end of the chapter. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and our Savior, full of compassion, went and found him and he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, the man says, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. For the second time in John chapter 9, this same man has received a healing. But this healing was a different set of eyes. The first time required paste and the power of Jesus and his physical eyes, blind since birth, were opened. He could see. But then Jesus, in his goodness, sought him out and healed another set of eyes, his heart eyes. And when he could see who Jesus was, he worshiped. Oh, what a phenomenal, phenomenal story. The Pharisees are still lingering in this scenario. The ones who had kicked him out, they're still hanging around. And then they start asking, what, are we blind? And Jesus levels them by saying, oh man, if only you were. Your physical eyes work great, but he levels them with the reality that their heart eyes were blind. Spiritual blindness. The one that is way more significant, a much deeper issue when these eyes don't work. So then, we arrive at chapter 10. And in our Bibles, it seems like this big division, but this is an ongoing conversation that has now carried over. And we read about Jesus saying, very truly, I tell you Pharisees. He's speaking to these religious insiders. And he tells them, listen, I am the gate through which the sheep enter. He builds this beautiful metaphor. I'm the shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. The sheep know me. The sheep hear my voice. He paints this contrast, a stark contrast, between the way he functions towards the sheep as a good shepherd and the way these religious leaders who are spiritually blind. And then we reach this verse, John chapter 10, verse 16, which is the theme that we're drawing from. Jesus looks at these religious insiders who are so proud of their ethnicity, their morality. They are considering themselves part of the in club because of all they have done. And Jesus says to them, listen, you religious leaders need to know this. I have other sheep that are not of this particular fold, not of this ethnicity, not of this social class, not of this high moral standing. I have other sheep and I must go to them and they also will hear my voice. This is the heartbeat of Jesus that he goes so that sheep have opportunity to hear his voice. Remember what happened with this blind man? Jesus went and found him and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
the heartbeat of Jesus displayed. And so this morning, in the moments we have together, I want to examine how this heartbeat of Jesus plays out within the Christian and Missionary Alliance, sending workers to other regions beyond what we are comfortable with. This plays out in several ways. I want to unpack three Ps for you today. The passion. Why is it that we are so committed to this? The passion drives the placement. Where is it that we are sending workers? And the placement determines strategic priorities. Once we arrive in these places, what is it that we actually do? So passion, placement, and priorities. Let's examine these together. You need to understand this morning that the passion in the Christian and Missionary Alliance that has driven us for so long is the reality that today there are more than three billion sheep who have never had opportunity to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd expressed through his sheep. There are people all over the world who don't have the same privilege that you have to sit and to listen to the truth of God revealed through his word, explained to them in their own language. People all over the world. And this is a passion that drives us in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Today, if you were to take a look at the people groups all around the world, there are more than 4,000 people groups who do not have any expression of the good news of Jesus being ministered in their context. No chance to hear the truth of the gospel that we sang about early this morning. That Jesus came and that he died in their place, but he did not stay dead. He rose and now he reigns on high. The simple truth of the gospel that has gripped your heart. There are those who have never had opportunity to hear that. And he's called us, family, to go to regions beyond to share this good news with these people who have never heard. The reality is that in many of the places where we are going, we are being very strategic about going directly to the spots where the gospel has not been preached. We do not, in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, just throw a dart at the wall and say, well, that place sounds exotic, let's go there. There is incredible intentionality. Because those people groups who have never had opportunity to hear, actually, if you were to look at the, the red part of that graphic I just showed you, there's a significant concentration of those people groups. And this determines the placement. Where do we send people? Well, today, a full 80% of the workers that the Christian Missionary Alliance is sending out are headed directly to that very quadrant where the most unreached peoples are located. There's real intentionality about that. The passion determines the placement. I want you to understand, as you look at that map, the reality of the people groups that we find within that quadrant. If you follow world news at all, you will be familiar with some of the issues that that quadrant faces. These are not people who are saying, please come, pastor, missionary, preacher, come join us. We are longing to hear what you have to tell us. These are places actually directly opposite. These are people groups who are scarred by long-standing conflict, constant turmoil, oppressive government regimes and oppressive religious regimes. These are people that are characterized by poverty, 
significant chaos. And so when we look at the world news and we look at that quadrant, we have a choice. We can lean back and say, no, thank you, not for me. Or we can begin to say, Jesus, give me your heart for people who are struggling. What is the heart of Jesus? Well, let me tell you. When Jesus looked on crowds, he had compassion from the gut. He felt something for them because they were like sheep without a what? A shepherd. I added a bunch of other translations to this idea of being helpless and harassed. When Jesus looked at people, he saw that they were antagonized and distressed. He saw people who were dispirited and weary, scattered and dejected, worn out and wandering, bewildered and cast aside. These are the ones who Jesus saw with compassion and he leans in. Not leaning back in a sense of saying, I want nothing to do. The heartbeat of Jesus is one of compassion for the multitudes. As the alliance has increasingly moved into these areas that are antagonistic to the gospel, it requires a significant reshaping of priorities. Because unlike 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when my parents first went overseas, they were able to go as pastor, preacher, missionary types, establish a Bible school. They set themselves, they hung out a shingle and said, we are the Christian and Missionary Alliance and we're here to tell you about Jesus. And God worked in phenomenal ways through that ministry approach. And I celebrate that. But that ministry approach does not work in the areas where we are currently sending people. These are areas that are highly antagonistic to the gospel. However, what I will say is that we have yet to identify one community on earth that pushes away a servant. Those who approach first as servants are able to gain respect in any community. And I would argue the same is true of the community in which you find yourself. And so this shapes the priorities. There are three priorities when we arrive in these communities that shape what we do. Number one, we approach as servants first. Number two, we want to see the expansion and the multiplication of church networks. And number three, we want to be all about developing people in everything that we do. Let me give you an example of these three priorities and how they've played out in our context. In terms of serving people, when we arrived, we knew that we were not going to go in as Christian and Missionary Alliance workers and be very public about it. We were discreet. And we knew we needed to find a way to serve. I've shared the story before, even perhaps in this context, of going down our first week to the corner store and sharing with this man, I need milk. I had practiced. I said it very confidently. And then the corner shop owner looked at me a few days into our time and he said, where from? And I got very nervous very quickly. I thought, we're going to get kicked out our first day here. And I said, from America. And he said, wait here. And then he left, like really stern. And you're faced with a choice in those moments. Do I run and live but be forever branded a coward? Or do I stay and fight? I'm getting milk, remember, and I'm thinking these things. <laughs> this man came back, corner store owner, had his two sons with him, came up. One dad looked at another dad, gripped my shirt and said, teach English. And I thought, okay, <laughs> Whew, we're not going to fight. 
The reality is that when you listen to what your community is saying, you will discover pretty quickly how they want you to serve them. I never dreamed of being an English teacher. It's not what I went to school for. It wasn't what I woke up as a little kid saying, this is what I want to do. But I'll tell you this, I would do anything to connect with the people of the Republic of Georgia in an authentic way to serve them because that builds trust. And so, to this day, I get in the car grumbling, I jump on the metro grumbling, I get on a bus grumbling, and I head down to the center to teach another stinking English class because it's what the community has asked us to serve them in. And as we do that, we have seen God's favor in phenomenal ways. This man is named Revaz. He's an economics professor at one of the largest public universities just down the street from our English center. I would have never gotten to meet Revas or have significant conversations with him about who Jesus is had we approached first as preachers. Revas wouldn't have listened. But guess what? Because we approached as servants, now I know Revas. And this man who is a devout Orthodox follower, he believes that it all rests on his shoulders, on his merit has now heard the message that it's not based on him, it's based on what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross for him. He would have never heard had we approached first as a preacher, but because we've approached as teachers, as servants, we've started what's called the Open Door Center, an English language learning center right there in the heart of the city. And our prayer is that this would be an open door for people to know the one who says, I am the gate, I am the open door through which people enter. Would you pray for people like Revaz as we serve? What's amazing is our team has grown and grown and grown and grown as we've been there. Now it's time for us to find new ways to serve. This is the most scary for us because we've become comfortable in our complaining headed down to teach another English class. But there are sheep not of that fold and God is moving in our hearts to move towards refugee settlements, to move towards prison population, to move in different regions, even overseas. It's easy to get tunnel vision and to get comfortable and where we feel like there's been some success in God's moving, but he's calling us out constantly. Would you pray that we would have the courage to obey? The second priority is this idea of multiplying church networks. Ultimately, you and I know that Learning English is not the hope of the world. Oh boy, it is not the hope of the world. The church that expresses hope, that's where people find who Jesus is. The true hope of the world. This is the ultimate priority that we see. Would we see the movement of God to expand church networks in our setting? The problem for us is that many people in the Republic of Georgia have an orthodox mindset about what church is. For them, it's, it's bricks, it's mortar, it's a building. They go to church. You hear how silly that is? Let's please reframe our understanding of church. You are the church, living, breathing, heart beating. You are the church. And in the Republic of Georgia, church has been reduced to a big, empty, cold, stone building. May it never be for you in this context. In our context, developing church networks looks very different. We call them communities of faith. 
and we invite students who have come to our center to then join us in our home as we share a meal together, as we open scripture together. And many of the Georgians believe that only the priest has the capacity or the authority to read scripture. It's brand new to do that in our home setting. It has been uh, slow and painstaking. I was going to say, I wish I could report it's been explosive growth, but it has not been. Very slow. Oftentimes, people will come once to honor the relationship, but then they will never come back again. And so I would ask you to pray that the Spirit of God would unleash a powerful movement of these communities of faith. To date, we've started three of them, and they are in various forms of health and growth or uh, decline. Would you pray that God would move in these communities of faith because this is how the country of Georgia will be changed for his glory, for his kingdom. The only way that this will continue after our time in Georgia is done is if we develop people. And so a third priority, we want to serve, we want to see church networks developed, but the third priority is that we have to develop people who can run with the mission long after we're gone. We are outsiders in this community. We don't speak the language fluently. We, we're not part of this culture. We are foreigners there. And so who better to pick up the ministry and run with it than an insider, a local? So we're praying that God would provide people who we can pour into and invest in and see them develop to lead the church of tomorrow in the Republic of Georgia. My wife, Deb, had opportunity to develop a person through a program that we run called the Leadership Institute. We do life coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, to help people who want to develop in their leadership capacity. And Deb had a chance to sit for one year every week and work with a young woman who had come to our center. This young woman was going through a very difficult, very painful separation from her husband. In our context, many marriages are arranged. And so for this young woman to separate from what her family wanted, it caused huge shame. This was not the man who she thought she was marrying, a very difficult scenario, found out many things about him after they were married and decided, can't do this. Created tremendous tension for her. Deb walked with her for an entire year through this process. We talked with this man, and I wish, again, I could report his heart was changed, but it wasn't, very hardened. And Deb stood beside this young lady throughout a painful process of a year. At the end of the year, after praying with this young woman and reminding her of God's love for her, we had a graduation ceremony, and we gave each person a certificate. This young lady received a certificate. She stood up in front. We asked them all to share, what has this year been like for you? And she stood in front of our team and in front of her cohort and said, Deb, you have been for me a modern day priest. She explained how in this context, she had gone to three different priests seeking input and advice and help as she walked through this difficult scenario. First priest looked at her and said, you've got 15 minutes, go. With tears streaming down her face, she had told Deb, how am I supposed to? unpack all of this pain in 15 minutes. He had no time for me. Second priest looked at her and said, if you pay, I will pray. It is a lucrative business for the priests. There's a lot of payments that go on in order to receive the blessing. The third priest looked at her and said, how dare you? 
what shame you are bringing upon your family. At a time she was desperate for hope, she was heaped with shame. She looked at Deb and said, you have been a modern day priest for me. In an orthodox context, I want you to understand the high compliment that that is. And Deb was able to explain to her and those gathered, listen, I am a priest. You have been called also a royal priesthood, friends. I'm a priest, but I'm not the high priest. There is a priest who always has time, does not depend on you to pay, who's not going to heap shame, but will speak love and value and worth and dignity to your heart. One who you can talk to any time of day, the high priest, Jesus, who represents you before the Father. We long to see stories like this of the truth being spoken to the hearts of people who can be raised up to lead the next generation of the church in the Republic of Georgia. We want to serve, we want to multiply, and we want to develop people. As I close this morning, I want to ask you, more than hearing about how this works in our context, would you consider some personal responses for you? As you go home this afternoon, as you have a quiet moment this week, would you consider responding on a personal level by praying a simple three-word prayer? Open my eyes. Open my eyes. The sad reality that I have seen in many, many churches all throughout the U.S. that we visited this year the sad reality that I can see many times when I look in the mirror and see my own reflection is that my physical eyes, your physical eyes, work great. But many of us can quickly grow to a place where the eyes of our heart have become blind to the world around us. May it not be true of this church family. Humanly speaking, you can't open those eyes. You need him to open them for you, so you need to pray. God, open my eyes. May you see the community in which he has planted you. It is not by accident that you are right here in this community. It's not by accident that you are in the neighborhood where you live or the workplace or the school. God has purposed for you to be there. Open your eyes with his help. Would you respond with that prayer? But if you sincerely engage in that way, watch out. Because when he opens your eyes, then you have a choice to make because you will see the need of the community around you. The second way that I would ask you to engage is on a local level, a local level. The word that keeps coming to my mind is this word, invite. Would you be the church family who is known as the inviting church. Would you be known as that? The reason this word comes to mind is because it involves initiation. It involves intentionality. It involves having to get up and to move most of the time across the street to extend an invitation, across the yard, across the hallway at work. You get to be the one who initiates. Why? Because he initiated with you. He came to you. He sought you out. Who is it that God is calling you to invite? Ultimately, what we are doing in the Republic of Georgia is simply crossing the street, chasing down neighbors, meeting up with people, inviting them to a meal at our home, inviting them to a community of faith, inviting, inviting, inviting. We are doing the same thing there that God has called you to do here. 
we have just crossed an ocean in order to cross a street. May you be people who cross the street in this community with increasing intentionality, with passion for the community where God has purposefully placed you. Would you be a people who invite? Revelation 19 says that the angel instructed him to write these words, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's blessing in the invitation. At some point in the heritage of your your life, your family, someone brought the good news to you. And it's your opportunity to extend that invitation. Would you lean in and would you invite on a local scale? The last one that I would ask you to consider is to engage globally, to engage in what God is doing around the world. In the Sunday seminar hour this morning, we shared with people some specific ways to pray because we need to be reminded, all of us, on the good days and on the bad, that God is with us, that he is consistent, and that he is for us. I would ask you a a couple tangible ways. On the table just outside this door back here are some updated prayer cards for our family. It would be an honor to us if you would grab one of those and tuck one in your Bible, put it in your car, on a mirror, on the fridge, put it somewhere where you will see it, and pray for our family that we would have courage to live the life of inviters in the Republic of Georgia. If it helps you to receive updates and no prayer requests, there also is a sheet back there on that same table on a clipboard. You can sign up and every quarter we'll send you a brief email with requests of how to pray and updates of what we asked you to pray for last time. Would you be a people who pray? The founder of the Alliance A man named A.B. Simpson said, prayer is the mighty engine that is to move the missionary work. And I shared with you at the beginning words of thanks. We have seen over and over that when God's people pray, doors are open that we could not open with our own human strength or strategies or budgets or larger teams that doors were closed when God's people prayed, they blew open. Please be people who pray. A second way that you can engage is to be a people who give above and beyond your normal tithing here. I want to make sure you understand God's command to tithe in your local church. Would you be faithful to do that? Above and beyond that, would you consider a way that you may sacrificially give to support the Great Commission Fund of the Christian and Missionary Alliance? Our family and many others are supported by that, and I want to thank you because our family is well cared for. Your increase in giving does not change our support. But your giving to the Great Commission Fund directly equals more workers to be sent to the harvest field. Right after that verse that I shared from Matthew, when Jesus had compassion from the gut, you remember what he said next? He had compassion and he said, listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. In our city of 1.5 million, we are thrilled that our team has grown to 13 adults. There are many, many teams all across the globe that would love to have an additional worker couple, an additional single person, an additional intern, somebody to be sent to help them in what they're doing. Your giving to the Great Commission Fund directly equals more workers. If you're at a zero, I'm asking you to consider a one. If you're at an eight, thank you. Would you consider a nine? How could you incrementally increase in what you're giving to sacrifice so that more will be able to hear the good news? Number three, would you be a people who are willing to go? 
Pat shared this morning of the different ways that you could potentially be involved, even with a trip to our context a year and a half from now. Would you consider what it looks like to get up and to go to see a different region, to have your heart expanded for a people who have not had the same opportunity to grow up hearing about the gospel that you have had? Would you be a people who get up and go? I'm asking you to consider that even here in your own community. There are some of you who need to get up and go across the living room to have a conversation with a family member that you have been unwilling to have. You know because right now God's telling you that. Some of you need to go across the street. Some of you need to go across the hallway at work. Some of you students need to go to a different lunch table and sit with a person who you've never been willing to sit with. Would you go? Would you go? Would you go? And lastly, would you be a church who sends your own out into the world? I am a product of this very church youth ministry. I love the way that you are investing in youth, but statistics tell us Many, many children growing up in the church today will walk out the door at some point in the future with their heads hung low, discouraged, wanting nothing to do with the church. May that be a tragedy that does not happen here because you care well for that next generation. May you invest well and may you send them out so that they're not walking out with their heads hung low, discouraged, but they're running out the door of this church with a mission for the community in which God has planted you, with a heart for the world, would you invest in this next generation and send them out? We need, Front Range, your very best to be ministers of salt and light in this dark world. Would you send your own out? Ultimately, none of these responses, the personal level, the local level, the global level, None of them are possible in our own strength. And so I would like to ask you to bow and pray with me that the Spirit of God would work in our hearts and allow us to respond in these ways. Would you pray with me? Father, today we pause and we acknowledge that in our best efforts, with all of the genius strategies, a big budget, a huge team of people, none of our human efforts or endeavors will amount to anything lasting unless you are at work within us and through us. And so, Spirit, we invite you to fill us afresh today. We ask that you would, in your goodness, open the eyes of our hearts so that we may truly see the needs of the community around us would you give us courage to engage as servants? You yourself said that the purpose for which you came was not to be served, but to serve, to give of your life as a ransom for many. I pray that we would have that same heartbeat, that we would seek opportunities to serve the communities in which you've placed us. As we do that, Father, we become aware that there are communities around the world where there is nobody intentionally serving. And so I ask that this morning, you would raise up those from this church family who would have a willingness to say, God, here am I, send me. Send me to a region beyond. Send me to be a servant. Because ultimately, God, we have been given such a sweet gift to know the truth of Jesus and the good message of the gospel. May we never be ones who hoard that message to ourselves, but would you increasingly empower us to take that message to our own communities and to the very ends of the earth. Thank you that you promise 
that you are with us always and that we do not go alone, but that we go as a family in the power of your spirit. We love you, we honor you, and we choose to live our lives for your fame, for your kingdom, and for your glory. May we see increasingly the good results, the good news of sheep who are not of the fold being called in to know the good shepherd, to hear his voice. Use us to that end, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Amen.